0: Hi, welcome to this edition of ONTAP, presented by FCSI The Americas. I'm Wade Kaler, Executive Director. I get to introduce another great member of FCSI this week. Uh, This member has been in industry for a long time, first as an operator, and then became a food service consultant. He's been a part of a large number of projects, including too many Olympic villages to list. So let's get into it with him. Please welcome the owner and CEO of Orlando Espinoza and Associates, Mr. Orlando Espinoza III. Hi, Orlando. Thank you for joining us on the show. Well, thank
1: you. I'm really excited Absolutely. about this opportunity.
0: Oh, me, me too. I, I know you've been around for a long time. We've had a few conversations over the years. We've really never gotten a chance to deep dive into talking to each other, so I'm really looking forward to today. Um, as you know from watching other episodes, uh, assuming that you've watched other episodes, I guess, but nonetheless, uh, we'd like to start off with, tell us a little bit about your background. How you got your start in food service industry, and then what led you to becoming a food service consultant?
1: Okay. Well, I guess it started at childhood. I always had a great passion for design and being creative. And um, through my education, uh, when I was in high school, uh, as a junior, we were able to take a class called uh, Architectural uh, Drawing and Design. And it was a one-year class, so I took that. And I did really well, and my teacher really liked what I did and, and my passion for it. So uh, my second year, last year of high school, we designed a self-taught course. And of course, I had responsibilities that I needed to achieve throughout it and uh, pass it very successfully. The um, one thing that came out of it was I got an opportunity to work at a uh, restaurant interiors manufacturer. And uh, I started off in the drafting position, was very successful at that. And uh, then went to work for a uh, local consultant in Arizona, uh, Douglas Collier, and uh, he's no longer with us. And then from there, spent about uh, 28 years of my career in corporate America. I worked with Restora uh, as a project engineer in their um, food service design organization and then went on to Aramark uh, for about 18 years. Uh, So I had an opportunity to do a lot and see a lot of different things. So been very passionate about it and stay with it.
0: So um, I, I know when you're with Aramark, I'd like to ask a little bit about that. When you were, when you managed, when you were with Aramark, let me, put, let me restart that. Try that again. So I'd like to pick up where that, where you just left off. And then with Aramark you used to manage a hundred plus employees. And you had a big team and everything else. How did life change when you left the corporate world and went to work as a food service consultant yourself with a much smaller team? Um, How did your life have to change for that?
1: On one part, um, it was not having to be responsible for so many um, different groups that I managed and people. Uh, Although I enjoyed it, it was quite a bit of stress. Um, The decompression took me probably about a good six months And I got to go back to my passion, which was design and to work with clients directly. So I looked at, I had a great career in corporate America and I've had just as great a career as an independent consultant because I do what I love, which is working with clients directly.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And a question new this year that we're asking everybody that's been fun to to hear the answers of is when you got started as a, a food service consultant, you left the corporate world, uh, How long did it take you before you felt uh, proficient, or you felt like you really knew what you were doing as a a consultant overall, not just a designer, but as an overall
1: well-rounded consultant? I believe when I uh, left corporate America, the decompression time allowed me to really think about what I wanted to do going forward. And uh, did I wanna have another large organization or a small one, and I stayed wanting to be a small organization and work with clients individually. So to answer your question about the time, it took me about a good year.
0: Very good. Very good. I think it's an important question because people coming out of the hospitality schools or people that are doing career uh, transitions, whatever it might be, I, I, I don't think people, some people are are probably hesitant to do this job thinking they have to know everything when they walk out and start being a consultant, whether they're on their own or whether they're working for another firm. And, I think it's been eye opening this season to listen to this to these answers because everybody and I think somebody in a, another episode referred to it as imposter syndrome. Um everybody you, you don't have to be an expert coming out of the gates is my point. You can it's going to take a while. It's kind of like in the association world for us where I where I my expertise is I don't feel you have a really good grasp of any client until you've been there for at least a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you've gone through every cycle of dues and certifications and uh, events and whatever it might be throughout the entire year until you start doing any type of repetition. I don't think you feel like you really know the client. And so I think with consulting, what I'm hearing from everybody is is somewhat the same thing. It really takes about a year or two before you feel like you get your legs under you to to really feel like, I can walk into a room and be very confident that I'm going to know most everything that somebody's going to ask me. And, and, but also listening to the client going, I may not know everything, so I've got to be
1: humble about it as well. Yeah. I, if I could add, I think the biggest challenge was the resources, you know, at Aramark, I had 10 or 15, you know, designers that worked for me. I had an interior design department, uh, procurement, uh, legal construction, so it was a matter of picking up the phone and accessing that resource. When you're an independent consultant, uh, you have to redevelop those resources. Yeah. And, and, that's, and at the level that you're accustomed to and that your clients need, that's a real challenge.
0: Yeah, exactly. So with your firm now, Orlando Espinosa & Associates, what kind of – are you specializing in any type of segments or, or any types you prefer
1: to do or do more of? Well, my background of myself and my uh, partner, uh Keith Short, he uh we have quite a diverse background. I mean, I've done everything imaginable with the exception of probably cruise ships. And B and I campus, healthcare, uh s- stadiums, arenas, convention centers, for the, the Olympics. So right now I like to say it comes in ebbs and flows. In other words, right now we're working very heavily in the B&I sector, Okay. and just most recently our healthcare started up. So we've got a number of healthcare projects. Nice. We've got a small number of uh, private schools that we're working on, and then we're having conversations on some international games that we might be involved in in the next year or two. Oh, so cool. uh, we've got a wide enough uh, expertise to. Be very successful in each one of those markets
0: oh nice i like that um what you talked a little bit about the olympic things and i know you've done a tremendous amount of olympic villages tell us a little bit about your experience and not only what it's like to design for olympic villages because you're talking about operations food types allergies i mean everything you can think of in a short amount of time but you're also talking about many different types or different parts of the world. So walk -hmm. us through a little bit about your experience dealing with creating those villages, but also what it was like to deal with different countries to build these operations. Because it's one thing to design and implement, but it's a whole other thing when you got to deal with laws and countries and cultures
1: and everything else. I would say the biggest challenge is uh, educating the host country that when you have An Olympics in their country, whether it be uh, Beijing, China, or Athens, Greece, the athletes are going there to eat their regimented diet, not to go eat Greek food or (laughs) Chinese food. And so it's a matter of educating the clients, uh, the the host country, and and understanding that, you know, there is a special menu for the uh, 200 some odd countries that come, and each athlete has special dietary needs. So that's that's the main menu that occurs for the first couple of weeks of the Olympics because they're in training yeah. and competition. Um, we do put host country uh, food offerings in um, for, say, off hours of when they're yeah. not training in that or when they've been eliminated so that they get a taste yeah. of the country. So it's a very balanced uh, type of menu, but originally starting out focusing on the athlete's needs and then transitioning into the uh, local and international uh, food service offerings. I
0: I would imagine, how long do you have to start planning that in advance for all the different types of foods you have to be ready for? About two years. Two years? Two years, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a
0: busy two years then.
1: It is. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for a small organization, one of our biggest challenges was it it virtually shut down my business from everything else. (laughs) Yeah. Because there's, you know, Numerous trips to different parts of the world for meetings, uh, video conference calls that you know are all hours of the day to speak with uh, operators and constructors and and clients directly.
0: Uh, going back a little bit to the BNI side that you came from and that you do a lot of work with, is there anything um, as we as we're still in COVID but we're kind of on the tail end, if you will, is there any changes you've seen in, in major changes in the BNI industry? that have been affected by COVID moving forward, especially with the work from home and the virtual and, the, and some of the places even shutting down um, their corporate headquarters. I mean, what, what kind of changes have
1: you had to do as a consultant or, or pivot with? Well, and I think a lot of people that deal in that particular market segment, you know, are realizing that, you know, as, as you designed facilities in the past for the total campus uh, number and participation, and you size your facilities based on your peak demand. That was over a five day period. Now with three days at work, two days at home, working at home, the challenge is those people that come in for those three days, who's going to want to eat and who selects to bring something from home because they've got used to that. Yeah. So uh, we're finding right now that, um, you know, gone are the days of the full sized food service operation. Um, and the reason I say that is because of the varied work hours and uh, we, we don't know where it's going to finally end up. However, it's going to be difficult to take things away from people that corporate America or America <laughs> has given to them. I mean, that's, yeah. that's very tough. So to answer your question directly, uh, yes, there's a definite size and space uh, differential between what was originally programmed for that total population okay. to what it currently is now. Um, we're focusing more on the food service quality and delivery. The dining spaces are probably 70% of what they used to be because one of the offerings that needs to take place now is you need to either have uh, grab and go. Mm-hmm. so people can go back to their workstations or you need to have delivery. Okay. Not everybody can do that. So it's a balance of those, um, three offerings in the facility pick up and go and delivery. That so makes it quite challenging.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. sounds like a lot of change actually, um, which is good and bad. Um, yes. It's more challenging for a consultant. I know you all like to be challenged a little bit, so I'm sure in a way that's kind of a good thing. <laughs> yeah. um, is there one project in particular that stands out to you, maybe your favorite you've ever done or most challenge you've ever done, regardless of the segment? Is there one that stands out?
1: I think early on in my career, I had the opportunity to put a catering kitchen at the 30 feet below ground level at the San Francisco Opera House. Oh, okay. And the uniqueness of that project was that whole complex where the Opera House is located sits on a man-made pontoon. And so you can't go down for your drainage. You have to go up. So um we were working in a historic historical building um built in the early 1900s and uh we had to run ductwork all the way through the i think it was 70, 70 or 80 feet of ductwork up through the building through the catacombs of the structure and uh so every everything was brought down but we had to eject it out exhaust Sewage and all of that. It, it was in. I had a great architect uh, and a great contractor, and uh, just a very good team. And it was very exciting, very challenging, very demanding. At the end of the project, when we were getting ready to start up, the uh, city came in and said, if there's any noise made by the kitchen, you won't be able to run the kitchen during the performances when we would prepare all our food and then be able to serve it after. So all types of sound informa- uh, sound gathering uh, equipment was set up. And uh, of course, everybody's sweating bullets, especially me. <laughs> and we radio, tell them to start the fans and the dishwasher and everything. And then all of a sudden the needle starts moving and there's noise. And then it stops. And of course, our, they jump on it and say, oh, you can't run the kitchen. I said, well, wait a minute. Let's find out what that was. So I called down and I asked the guys, you know, turn the equipment off. or Have you turned the equipment off? And they said, no, it's been running the whole time. So that created this mystery. Where's the, mu- where's the noise coming from? Come to find out it was coming from the elevators in the opera house. The kitchen could not be heard. Oh. <laughs> Nothing in the kitchen could be heard. So that was kind of, not only was it a challenging job, an exciting job, but it was a great ending to a really very yeah. memorable project for me. So little things like that. I mean, you know, it wasn't a huge kitchen, absolutely, but it, those kind of challenges where you have to uh, provide services to an area that never had them before and then extraction through a building yeah, that never absolutely. had it before.
0: <laughs> Part of the consulting is, is networking with a lot of people. And I know that you're very well known throughout the consulting community and, and the industry as, as a whole How important is networking been to you and your success? I mean, how do you view networking when it comes
1: to being a food service consultant? Absolutely critical. You have to have good relationships uh, with your peers. Mm -hmm. You need to have great relationships with the manufacturers. And with the different resources that you use, um, not only to um, assist you in completing projects, but also general knowledge of the industry and the pulse of the industry and what's happening. Um, you, you can't neglect that.
0: Yeah. very good. What is one thing about Orlando that nobody would ever know without you telling them, whether it's a, a situation, a hobby, a habit, something like that. What's one thing about you that nobody would ever be able to guess?
1: I love building things. Yeah. And working in the yard. Yeah. I, I like working with my hands. I like to build, um, patios, room additions, furniture, um, not, not anything real, um, uh, you know, high end, but you know, simple furniture and stuff like that. Just, yeah. just keeping busy, doing work that I don't have to think about. <laughs> there you go. I like that. Uh, last question I've
0: got for you is, uh, on the formal side anyway, who's been the greatest influence
1: in your professional life? Gosh, I've had tremendous mentors along the way. You know, it's almost like, you know, people come in in phases. Um, You know, the names that come to me, it's been multiple people. A gentleman named Hank Wassel, when I first started off as a draftsman, uh, took time and patience with me. Taught me, um, you know, blind quality writing. Uh, Another gentleman named Gary Morcom, very demanding. You know, being precise. Precise was everything. Understanding what the clients' needs were. Uh, I'd say everybody I work with is a is a mentor to me, um, because I approach it that you know, I want to do my best. So I want to understand as much as I, as much as I can. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that answers the question, but those are people. Oh, I think that's,
0: you no, know, I think that's very healthy.
1: I, I think that's a very
0: healthy answer. I love the answer of everybody that you work with. Cause I think you can learn from everybody, uh, yeah. learn good, bad, or indifferent. It's yep. one way or another. you you get that from them. So, uh, well, that's all the formal questions I've got, but before we got, before we let you go, definitely want to have a little bit of fun with my, would you rather questions we do at the yeah. end of every episode. So we'll dive right into these. Um, the first one I've got for you is, would you rather buy 10 things you don't need every time you go to the store or always forget the one thing that you need to buy when you go to the store?
1: Always forget the thing that I forgot to buy Gives me an opportunity to go back.
0: There you go. (laughs) Would you rather have a personal housekeeper or a personal chef? Personal chef. Okay. Would you rather be an extra in an Oscar winning movie or the lead in a box office bomb? (laughs) An extra. All right. Would you rather be able to watch nothing but Hallmark Christmas movies Or nothing but horror movies for the rest of your life? Christmas movies. Okay. Would you rather have a pause or a rewind button in your life? Pause. All right. Would you rather personally win $25,000 or have your best friend win $100,000?
1: Best friend win $100,000.
0: Okay. Would you rather be in a zombie apocalypse or a robot apocalypse? (laughs) <laughs> a robot apocalypse okay would you rather give up your cell phone for a month or give up bathing for a month
1: that's a good one uh i'd give up my cell phone
0: okay i thought we might have had our first bather finally <laughs> nobody will say bathing uh, would you rather be able to speak any language or be able to communicate with animals speak any language Would you rather always have an annoying song stuck in your head or always have an itch that you can't reach? An annoying song. Okay. Uh, Would you rather read the book or watch the movie? Watch the movie. Would you rather have your own theme park or own your own zoo? Have my own theme park. Okay. Okay. Would you rather be compelled to high five everyone you meet or be compelled to give a wedgie to uh, anyone in a green shirt?
1: I would probably high five.
0: Okay. Would you rather have a completely automated home or a self-driving car? Self-driving car. Okay. Uh, the last one I got for you is, would you rather be able to go to any theme park in the world for free for the rest of your life or be able to eat for free at any drive through restaurant for the rest of your life?
1: I go with the theme parks.
0: Very good. Very good. Well, that's all I've got for you today, Orlando, but before we let you go, uh, let the audience know how they can find out more about you and your firm. Sure.
1: Uh, We are on um, LinkedIn. Plus we also have our website, www.oe-associates.com. And uh, you can call me directly anytime. Uh, I think our Our numbers are listed on our website as well.
0: Very good. Well, that wraps up this edition of ONTAP presented by FC of the Americas. A huge thank you to Orlando Espinosa for joining us today. Be sure to like and subscribe to whatever platform you use. And as always, cheers.